0: Well, good morning, everybody. Got a little helper here with me this morning. Say good morning. No? Okay, I didn't think so. I tried. Um, we're going to continue in worship um, through the reading and listening of the, of the Word of God. So um, just um, I invite you to open your hearts and your minds now and, and your ears and listen to the Word. I'm going to reading from several passages in and, passages and Proverbs. Um, let's just start out from the top. <clears throat> Proverbs 18:20 20 through 21 From the fruit of a man's mouth his stomach is satisfied he is satisfied by the yields of his lips death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruits Proverbs 6:16 6, through 19 There are six things that the Lord hates seven things that are an abomination to him haughty eyes a lying tongue and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. Proverbs 12, 22. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. Proverbs 14, 25. a A truthful witness saves lives, but one who breathes out lies is deceitful. Proverbs 16.23, the heart of the wise man makes his speech judicious and adds persuasiveness to his lips.
1: If you want to turn in your Bibles, you can go to chapter 6, that might be a good place to start, but we're going to be zooming all over. All right. So for a few weeks now, we have been in the study of the book of Proverbs, God's wisdom for gospel living. Because when it comes to living this life, the one thing we don't want to lean on is only our wisdom alone. That, that ends up badly. But we want to look to the author of wisdom, right? God, who in himself is wisdom. Because there are two paths in this life we can follow. The path of wisdom, following after God, seeking after God, seeking after what he would want for us, pursuing Christ and his righteousness. Or there's the path to folly, which is the opposite of that, which ultimately leads to death, seeking after our own things and all the things that we think that we should do. We saw in Proverbs 1.7 that it says, "...the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, and fools despise wisdom and instruction." To live in wisdom is to live in reverent fear, a healthy fear of our most high God. To to relish in the the person and the transforming work of Jesus Christ in the gospel, wisdom incarnate. And again, to live in foolishness or folly is to live opposite of that, to not look to God, but to live a life according to our own feelings and standards and ultimately that will lead to destruction. So over the past three weeks, we've been looking at more pointed topics within Proverbs. We looked uh, first at anger and then pride. Or f- we just looked at anger. Chris did a great job preaching on pride, Chris Kijano, And then we looked at friendships. And what we're looking at today, our topic, it, it really pertains to those same topics that we've studied already. Today's topic can pour forth crazily from anger and dangerously from anger. Today's topic can expose our pride and it can make or break our friendships. Today, we're looking at the tongue and the use of our words, which is kind of scary because I'm up here for like 45 minutes, so there's a high probability I may say something stupid. (laughs) (laughs) Boom, done. All right. So, the tongue, though a very... Small muscle, it's not that big. It can do more damage than the biggest biceps, but it can also bring more joy than even the greatest of presents. The tongue has power, and God cares about our words and cares how we use our tongues. Proverbs 18 20 to 21 says, From the fruit of a man's mouth, his stomach is satisfied by the yield of his lips. Death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruits. I mean, death and life, that is intense. The nature, so that the, the nature of our words can be broken down into really two categories, words of destruction or death and words of construction, life. We can use our words to tear others down or we can use our words to build others up. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And this morning what I want us to see is that we want to use our words to build one another up. We want to use our words to build the kingdom of God. We want to use our words for the glory of God. And the gospel should compel us to do that. So as we look at the subject of uh, the tongue and words in our speech, we're going to first look at the nature and character of our words, the destructive uses of words, Get that out of the way before we do the constructive uses of the words. Go out on a high note and then even go out on an even higher note, the ultimate word. So first, the nature and character of our words. The first thing that we know about words is they have tremendous power. James 3, 5 says, So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by a small Fire. Such power within our mouths and it can so easily escape at the wrong moment. James' fire illustration is p- is perfect be- because I just think of like out west, we see year after year, summer after summer, somewhere out west, there is a forest fire that's going on for miles and it's just hard to put out and it comes from the tiniest little spark. I think one most recently, I mean, the guy just tried to Bury, bury his fire or something to put it out and one little spark got away and the whole thing was set ablaze. What a perfect illustration James uses because our words can do that same thing for good or for bad. Our words have tremendous power. I think of two very prominent people in the 20th century who, whose words have affected greatly the world in which we live. The first is Adolf Hitler. Now I know that name makes us all cringe because of the atrocities and the things that happened at his hand but it was his words that fueled the fire he was known so much of being a not I would say a good public speaker but you know what I mean not really good but a powerful speaker his words compelled people to do terrible things it was his speaking that was, enabled him to achieve great power and with that power he abused it and did unthinkable things. He was able to deceive people into the murder of millions of people by the power of his words. Was his power in the position? Yeah, he, I mean he was in charge. There was the power but it was his words that shaped that culture of that time. And that darkness and that hatred spread like wildfire throughout Europe. And the second person, just the opposite of that, who, who we see the power of the tongue used for good, is the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who in an age of, of heavy and severe racism and segregation, King used his words for the power of a good, preaching peaceful protest. I mean, his speech, the I Have a Dream speech, it is still so relevant today. We, we listen to it year after year on Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Within that speech, he didn't, he didn't speak and preach hatred, but he preached hope. He preached hope. Though he was assassinated at the young age of 39, his words still ring true today, especially in our culture, which is still evidently plagued by racism and bigotry. As we see pouring out throughout the country. His words carry on with tremendous power. Both people spoke, and spoke two people, one for good, one for bad. Death and life are in the power of the words. We see in Genesis 1 to 3 that the God uses his words to speak creation into existence his words he speaks and he creates and mark 4 there's a storm raging and jesus just says peace be still and the storm stops jesus teaching that he truly was the son of god is is what caused people to rise against him and see him eventually crucified because he was speaking the truth people didn't want to hear the truth it was those words that he spoke that were misunderstood and twisted that allowed the religious leaders to rally against him. Words have power. All within the sovereign plan of God, of course. Words also have permanent effects. Proverbs 12:18 says there is one whose rash words are like sword thrust but the tongue of the wise brings healing rash words are those words with no consideration just kind of like rolled off the tongue quickly carelessly and they're like sword thrust it says think about the nature of a like a sword wound now i'm sure not many of us have been stabbed by a sword we don't see them too much nowadays but Just think of that blade going in and all the damage it causes, and then it comes back out. Even though the sword's gone, there's still all kinds of damage inside. But then even after that potentially heals, you're left with a scar on the outside, reminding you always of what was there. You look down and you go, that's where the sword went in. You're never going to forget about it. It's the same way with our words. Rash words are like sword thrusts. Really, all words, good or bad, have that same lasting effect. It's just the ones that hurt tend to last a little longer. I have a pretty big scar on my hand, actually. Um, I didn't get stabbed with a sword. Though it would have been a better story if I did. Um, A few years back, I was was going downstairs. I was uh, still at my parents' house, and I was just... It was late. It was kind of chilly. It was like, I think, September. And I was just trying to shut the window in the basement. And it was a little older. And it was one of those ones you push up. And I have my hand on the handle getting ready to push. But it's, I know it doesn't always like, lock in right away. So you got to give a little extra gusto. And I put this hand on the pane of glass. Yeah. So anyway, I slam it shut. My hand goes through the window. And then I, my gut reaction is like, "Ooh, pull it back real quick. Cut it open. 23 stitches later, I'm left with this battle wound of a really dumb thing. Like, you don't put your hand on a pane of glass that you're slamming, that's... Like but I look at the scar, I'm reminded. Next time I go to shut a window, oh, don't do that. I'm just reminded of that, and it's gonna be there probably forever. And I'm okay with that. Scars act as a reminder of those things that have happened. And just like rash words... They don't go away. So it's a reminder to be careful and be cautious with our words. They have lasting effects, whether good or bad. A destructive word can last a long time. We hold on to it. Tim Keller says, When you say a word, you can never make it as if it had never been uttered. Once you utter a word, it's uttered. It can never be as if it wasn't. It's true. Like sometimes like we go, I take that back. Well, it's out. You can't. It's been put out there. So I want to look at the nature of, well, we looked at the nature. We want to look at the destructive and the constructive uses of these powerful and permanent words. First, destructive. Let's get the bad news out of the way. Proverbs discusses so many poor uses of the tongue. It, it discusses more poor uses of the tongue than good uses of the tongue. And it would be absolutely impossible for me to like, address all of those this morning. So you're welcome on that. Um, <laughs> but what I want to look at is Proverbs 6, 16 to 19. Because it brings out some of the big destructive uses of the tongues. He writes, There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans, and feet that make haste to run to evil. A false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. This passage has seven things that the Lord hates. He even calls it an abomination. And three of these things deal with the tongue in our words. And two of those three deal with lying specifically. So though it may be one of the most obvious misuses of the tongues, the first thing we're going to look at is lying. And Proverbs twelve twenty two says again, in case we missed it, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. An abomination. That's not a word we just like throw around. Like that's heavy. I mean, for something to be an abomination, like it's got to be really, really displeasing to the Lord, and that's what it's listed as here—an abomination. Lying made it to the Ten Commandments list, so like you know, it's important. Why? Because it—it it doesn't just affect the person speaking; it affects our relationships with everyone. It, it lies, big or small. They, they affect um, how we interact. We're uh, changing reality, the truth of reality, when we tell a lie like that. Now we think white lies, we think, well, well, it's a white lie. It's making someone feel good. But is it beneficial in the end? Lies come in all shapes and sizes. There's slander, there's deception, there's the telling of the half-truth. Well, it's not like a lie... Yeah, but you left out a significant part of what you were saying. I think about just going to the store to return something like a, a computer, right? You go and you'd be like, it's broken. I want, I want to return it. It's broken. But you leave out, I spilled an entire cup of coffee on it. Or I dropped it and ran over it with my car. Okay, no, it's, it's broken. I need a new one. Now, granted, they're probably going to know that, but still, we, you know, we, we try to rationalize. Well, it's like I told them it was broken. That's all they needed to know. But you left out that you're the one responsible for breaking it. A lie may get us out of a jam in the moment, but ultimately it's a fleeting thing. Proverbs 12, 19. Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue is for a moment. Sometimes we want to not tell the whole truth because... That's just not going to benefit us right now. But the truth, truthful lips endure forever. A little moment here may lead to a lifetime of regretting. Man, I can't believe I did that. Because you know the truth. You know the reality. And lies are distorting that reality. The momentary freedom is not worth the lifetime of captivity. Many of you know, I love the show Seinfeld. Seinfeld. And the the character George Costanza has told many lies in the show. And almost every time he tells a lie, he's trying to get himself out of trouble. He's trying to puff himself up. He's trying to get a job. And every time it just kind of bites him on the rear end. There's an episode. He claims he's a marine biologist. And then at the end of the episode, spoiler alert if you guys haven't seen it, but... There's a whale that washes up on the shore at the end, and he's with his girlfriend. She's like, you're a marine biologist? Caught in the lie. There's another episode where <laughs> he, uh, he hands out these cards to his whole office saying, I've made a donation in your name to the Human Fund, a nonprofit he made up. And in that episode, his boss finds out, he's like, there is no Human Fund, George. And then he's forced to bring his boss to this festivist celebration at his house that is an embarrassment to him and he just keeps getting caught in these lies one of my favorite ones and this is the last one i swear when he lies to uh his late fiance's parents he tells them he has a a house out in the hamptons this beautiful area trying to he said he was going out to the hamptons he tried to get out of i forget something and then they're like well we want to go out to the hamptons take us with you and George is so caught up in the lie, he drives all the way out to the Hamptons, hoping, hoping that they'll, they'll say that they know it's a lie. And he gets all the way out there and he's driven crazy because he was caught in his lie and he had to deal with it. See, there are benefits to Seinfeld people. Life lessons to be learned. <laughs> I could keep going on. But the point is that, that lies there but for a moment. But the truth endures forever. We may be able to fool one another here and there, but we have an omniscient God who knows the truth. Lies are words of destruction. They are words that lead to death. Death of community, death of trust. Lies, they don't allow us to build one another up, but all they do is let us tear one another down. They don't let us build the kingdom of God. They prevent us from it. My lips are an abomination to the Lord. And then in 6.19, they deal, he deals with another thing, a destructive word. He says, a, fa- a false witness who breathes out lies and one who sows discord among brothers. This is another destructive use of the tongue. Sowing discord. What, to, to sow discord is to be one who just starts arguments and fuels disagreement a troublemaker, right? Someone who just wants to to get in a fight and get in an argument for the sake of getting in an argument. Someone who just likes to weave their way in and like divide people. Like, (laughs) yes. Like that kind of person. They're just argumentative. That's foolishness. 18.6 here. A fool's lips walk into a fight. His mouth invites a beating. The way that is like just presented i think is great his mouth invites a beating i mean there's so many people myself included sometimes i feel like my mouth is inviting a fist to it because i just (laughs) i'm saying something stupid like next time someone's like be just being argumentative and unreasonable be like listen your mouth is inviting a beating right now i'm gonna be gracious i'm not gonna do it but just know this wants this just saying And then say that you're probably inviting a beating yourself. So, um, maybe don't take that advice. Boom. Stupid thing said in sermon. Make note. God hates someone who sows discord among brothers. How many churches have we seen divided? Because people just want to argue and fight over the dumbest things. Over secondary issues. Open-handed issues. I mean, they may not be completely dumb. They may be something worth talking about, but they're not worth dividing people over. We don't want to be a church, and I don't think we are a church, we don't want to be a church marked by frivolous bickering over secondary issues. We want to keep the gospel the main thing because that's what it's all about. And when we lose sight of that, that's when this, this little arguing over little things happens. When we lose sight of the bigger picture that... You know what? We are on mission. We're on mission to to declare and demonstrate the gospel, to to encourage one another, to love one another. When we lose sight of that big thing, the little things just get magnified and that's what we really get bent out of shape over. We don't want to let that happen. We want to keep the main thing the main thing and let the secondary things be secondary things. I'm going to go on a little aside here. Proverbs was written... Because we're talking about discord. Proverbs was written well before computers and cell phones existed. And even at that time, there was obviously a problem with the tongue because the tongue is talked about more than any other subject, really, in Proverbs when we get into these different thematic areas in the book of Proverbs. So there's obviously a problem. But today, in 2015, I feel as though I cannot address our words and communication without bringing up technology because it's so prevalent and we see people sowing discord, causing arguments all the time. If you're on social media, which I'm sure a lot of you are, we see this happen all the time. We all have those friends on social media, or even maybe there's those friends in person if you're not on the computer. We know those people who just love putting something out there for the sole purpose of stirring the pot. I'm going to put this out there. I'm going to see how many people I can get to knock heads Like, it's messed up, but it happens. It's not innocent joking. There's people who get their jollies over watching people bite one another's heads off. And like, I know who those people are on Facebook, so sometimes I'll go and look and be like, oh, what's happening? It's it's like a little, it's messed up. I guess we'll call this confession now. I'll read through the comments going, this is juicy stuff. I can't believe this is happening right now. (laughs) And it's like, it's like a soap opera, but then if you take a step back, you're like, these people are really arguing. Like, this is really happening. Online gossip can spread like wildfire with the click of a button that says share. Right? And insults and discouragement are rattled off with no consideration because you can type it, hit enter, and walk away. You don't see the look on someone's face. You don't feel the, the tension. You can just passive aggressive boom, I'm out. Drop the mic, I'm done. I've said my piece. There's no consideration to what you've said. You don't see the expression on people's faces. People are bullied online to the point that they can't do anything but take their own life because of it. Because we hide behind our screens and uh, obviously, I like technology. I'm a fan of it. We can hide behind the screen, type whatever we want and do it. And sometimes with complete anonymity, we got these screen names and different things that can prevent people from knowing who even said it, can you imagine being online and getting ridiculed by people you don 't even know who they are they 're just like some stupid username like like pretty unicorn ninety <laughs> two <laughs> Pretty unicorns not so pretty <laughs> now but I mean think like seriously that 's screwed up. We need to remember that you know. Technology is not the bad thing, though. We are flawed, simple people, and again, the tongue has caused problems long before technology and computer, computers, and cell phones and all that stuff. But we want us to be—we we need to be mindful of what's rolling off our fingertips and our thumbs, just as much as we need to be mindful of what's coming out of our mouths. Sometimes we talk too much, or we talk too quickly. And you know this, this goes right into our next thing, talking too much and talking too quickly, especially online. Proverbs 10.19 says, When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. If we talk enough without giving careful consideration, we say something surely that we will regret. Facebook added an edit button. Why? Because so many people type things and went, Oh no, I shouldn't have done that. And then they'll edit it. And you can see, oh, they edited it. Uh, I wonder what that said. Or or uh, Google. Google added recently, it was in the news, an undo button, giving you 30 seconds to hopefully realize you sent an email you shouldn't have so you can undo it and take it back. Why? Because so many of us hit send in, in the heat of, of anger or frustration or just not thinking We hit send and we cause so many problems with our words. We are on mission, even online. So when we post something or say something to everyone, like remember, everyone online is seeing it. Or if someone sees you online, tossing out sarcasm, tearing someone down what does that communicate about the gospel? We share blog posts with, with, with stuff in it that may not even be close to true, but it's like, hey, this helps my agenda. This gets a point across that I really wanted to get across, and some of the details may, about, may not be true, but I didn't write it, so I'm gonna share it. Well, no, you're sharing it. You're making those person's words your words. We need to have integrity in our words online. I've had my own social media faux pas I've had to edit, delete, and and really expand on statements. I have to do it with my real voice too. I've managed to put both my real and digital foot in my mouth. The digital one doesn't taste as bad. Our words have the power, whether we type them, write them, text them, speak them, let's not use them to be destructive Let's use them to build one another up in love, not tear one another down. This list that God gave us, the things He hates, a lying tongue, sowing discord. We don't want to be a people who divide. We want to be a people who, who help bring unity in the gospel. Sure, we're, we're going to say dumb stuff. It's going to happen. And we know grace will cover that, but we shouldn't just say what we want and then say, well, I'll just ask forgiveness for that. We all know what Paul says to that. He says, no, we should not sin that grace may abound. We want to pursue righteousness in our living and in our speech. Let's use our words to build one another up. Let's use constructive words. The things listed in 6, 16 to 19, are an abomination to God because they are completely antithetical, the opposite of the character of God. Why does God say he hates lies and that they're an abomination? Because He is a God of truth. His very nature is truth. So of course he's gonna hate it when we lie because he's like, no, that's not, no, that's not how it's supposed to be. He hates when we, when we sow discord and cause division because he's a God of unity and community. We see that in the Trinity, That's why he dislikes those things. And just how out of lies and discord flow other poor uses of words like gossip and false witnessing, quarreling and deceiving and slandering, out of the truth can come encouragement. And using wise speech can come appropriate and well-timed words. Gospel living should be marked by speaking the truth. Again, 12 22. Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue is for a moment. The truth is not a fleeting thing, but an eternal thing. And what is truly true will endure. Like the gospel, that is truth, and it has endured and will continue to endure because it's of God. And if death and life are in the power of the tongue, then lies being destruction bringing death, then truth is constructive and brings life. Proverbs fourteen twenty five: A truthful witness saves lives, but one who breathes out lies is deceitful. To withhold the truth from someone is to withhold life. To not speak truth where truth needs to be spoken is not beneficial at all. Sometimes we're so afraid to fill someone in on the truth because they're like, well I don't want to hurt their feelings?" And like that's good because it shows there's a level of caring. But if we truly care, we still speak the truth in love. I think of a couple of, yeah, a couple years back, I was having lunch with a pastor friend of mine, and we're eating there i 'm chowing down on the Loaded nachos, enjoying myself. And he's eating them too, but then he's he's much skinnier. So he says, Can I ask you something? And I'm mm, sure not?" <laughs> and he just says to me, What are you doing about this? And by this he meant me sitting there, stuffing my face with nachos, growing larger and larger since I had met him. And Someone had to say something, right? Otherwise, it was just going to keep going and it was going to become more and more of a problem. Now, I had a relationship with him. There's a difference. It's not like we're supposed to walk through the mall and be like, wait a second. Hey, buddy, you're huge. (laughs) I love you. (laughs) We don't do that. But when we have a relationship with someone, and I knew he generally, he wasn't just like, I'm going to get some jollies right now. I'm going to poke fun. He was like, what are you doing about this? It's going to affect your life. It's going to affect how you play with your kids. All different, he's looking at the big picture. We need to speak truth in knowing that our intention is constructive, not destructive. Now, sometimes we can speak the truth and we can just be jerks. We don't want to do that either. We want to speak it in love. If we both know we're on the same page, we're, we're looking f- we, we want to help one another, build one another up in the gospel, then the truth can be received well. Because we know the intention. We need to speak encouraging, truthful words. Some people want to, again, speak the truth in hate. But Proverbs 10 12 says hatred stirs up strife but love covers all offenses centered on the love of christ and the gospel speaking truth breeds healthy relationships lasting relationships it doesn't divide like discord does we need to encourage one another in the truth encourage one another in the gospel truth should be spoken in gentleness a gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. Now, when I say gentle, that's not to be confused with being timid or being weak. You can be authoritative and gentle at the same time. You can speak what needs to be spoken, but you just, you know, you do it in a, in a way that communicates, I care, I love. Let me say this. Be gentle. But, I mean, there is a time for rebuke as well. And sometimes that comes with the truth. Proverbs 24, 24 to 26. Whoever says to the wicked, you are in the right, will be cursed by peoples, abhorred by the nations. But those who rebuke the wicked will have delight and a good blessing will come upon them. Whoever gives an honest answer kisses the lips. There's a time for rebuke. There's a time to call out harshly what needs to be called out but there's a time for gentleness and we don't want to go from zero to 100 miles an hour right away that usually doesn't end well but when we're in relationships when we're in friendships with people we know we know who we're talking to we have we have those friends where it's like man i know he's not going to get it i just got to go for it and we speak a little more harshly still in love but you just go straight to the point like dude, stop. But then there's some people where, you know, if you just go for it, it's going to crush them. So you speak more gently. Same truth, delivered differently. We need to use appropriate words. Appropriate words. As we've discussed earlier in the series, sometimes in life, not every situation is black and white. Sometimes it's just like, It's time to use wisdom on how to deal with this. Like it's not necessarily wrong. It's not necessarily right. But there's something that needs to be addressed. That's when we need to use wisdom. And in our words, we need to be wise and discerning to use appropriate words when speaking the truth. 16, 21 to 24, the wise of heart is called Discerning. And sweetness of speech increases persuasiveness. Good sense is a fountain of life in him who has it, but the instruction of fools is folly. The heart of the wise makes his speech judicious and adds persuasiveness to his lips. Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Wise speech is marked by discernment. Being judicious. Essentially, Good and wise speech is marked by using good judgment. A fool says whatever, whenever, to whoever. They just, like, they just rattle it off. They don't care. They may, not, they may know this is going to offend someone. I don't care. I'm just going to go for it. We need to be discerning. We've got to choose our words carefully. James instructs the readers of his epistles to be quick to listen and slow to speak quick to listen, and slow to speak. Discerning tongues are incomplete without discerning ears. We need to be good listeners in order to be wise and effective speakers. And I think that's something that a lot of us or maybe I'm just talking about myself, I don't think so anyway, but we struggle with. I mean, how many of us have been in an argument? By a show of hands, who's gotten in an argument sometime with someone? We should see every hand come up because we've all disagreed with someone. Okay, so who in the midst of that argument was so focused on what you wanted to say that you just completely missed what the other person said? We do it. We're so wrapped up in like, i got to get my point across that we're not even listening to the other person and we are quick to speak and slow to listen, which is the opposite of what we're called to do. If we want to build one another up in the gospel, we have to be able to listen to one another well, hear what's on each other's hearts, hear hear the the truth that they might be speaking to you, but you're just blocking it off so you can rebuttal. We need to be good listeners. That's what builds relationships. It's a two-way street, right? We pray to God. We hope he's listening to us. We want him to listen to us. We've got to listen to his word as well. Same thing in relationships. It's a two-way street. Think for a second how this would uh, work in our conversations with people who don't know the gospel, people who don't know Jesus. Whatever the discussion is. It could be on those highly debated topics like evolution and all that stuff. That co- I mean, that causes some serious serious turmoil Well, when we're having those conversations with people where our point of view is definitely different, well, we need to be able to at least listen to their point of view so we can have intellectual and intelligent conversations. So much I've just seen someone, someone on this side of whatever the topic is says their thing. This person responds, and I don't even think they heard what they said. They, they just responded. It's like, that doesn't even, they don't even match. You're not speaking to this person. You're just saying what you want to say and you didn't even care. How can we build relationships with people if we're not even going to listen to their point of view? There's not a conversion shot clock that we have. Like we're in a conversation with someone and we're like, 10 seconds left. All right, shut up. All right, listen, this is what I have to say. You've got to come to Jesus. It's not going to work. President Theodore Roosevelt, he said it best. He says, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. If you're not going to listen to what someone else is saying, it may be dumb, but at least listen to it. They're not going to see, like, you don't care about what I'm saying. You care about what you want to say to me, and that's it. And then, boom, you got a wall put up between the two of you, and it takes way longer to, to break those down. Our words are powerful. Our words are permanent. They can be used for destructive purposes and constructive purposes. And I could end right now basically and just be like so, therefore, go and speak righteously. Use your tongues for good, not for evil. But that would be an incomplete message because we're not dealing with the actual problem, we're dealing with a symptom. We're dealing with a symptom of a greater heart problem that we all have. And because of this, we need a heart change. We need a heart transformation. We need the ultimate word. Proverbs 16:23 or no. John one, one to two. It says in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was, that is, Jesus, was in the beginning with God. Jesus Christ is the word made flesh, the ultimate word of God, who speaks into every point of our lives, who speaks to our hearts and can transform our hearts. And it's Proverbs 16 23 that says the heart of the wise, the heart of the wise makes his speech judicious and adds persuasiveness to his lips. It doesn't just flow from a good cognitive knowledge of what to say. It's an overflow from the heart. Jesus, he says, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Where our treasure lies That's what we will speak. Sometimes we can cover it up, but it will come out. And so when Christ, the ultimate word made flesh, is our treasure, it transforms the way we interact with others. It transforms the way we speak. It transforms what we type. It transforms our relationships. Christ is the ultimate word who speaks to every part of our life. The Holy Spirit indwells us and convicts us so that maybe right before we're about to say something, we go, no, and we can pull back. The Spirit of Christ reminds us in the gospel that we want to respond in love, and that maybe we want to respond to someone in harsh anger right then and there, but then we can remember, you know what? We were enemies with God. He didn't pour his wrath out on me. He poured it out on Christ. He took it. So why am I gonna... Respond in anger right now. He was gracious when I didn't deserve it. Maybe an angry outburst isn't necessary right now. Or at least after we flip out, at least we go, oh man, I should ask for forgiveness. That was wrong. The Holy Spirit can convict us. If our hearts have been transformed by the gospel, how can we tear others down and tear them apart? When Christ was beaten, broken, and torn for us. How can we run our mouths flippantly when on the cross Christ shows us an incredible example of restraint of words and using appropriate words. He's hanging on the cross. He's mocked. He's ridiculed. And he, he prays to the Father in Luke 23. He says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Jesus could have yelled all kinds of things at them. Expletives. I don't know. but he speaks forgiveness. He could have made a case for, for, no, I am the Son of God. Are you guys thick? Get me off of here. But he doesn't. He just says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He speaks gently. He speaks truthfully. He speaks appropriately. He's like, these guys need forgiveness. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they are doing. His heart was wholly focused on the redemption of his people. His heart was focused on the kingdom. His heart was not focused on getting back at them right then. His desire was for their repentance. He asked the Father to forgive them. I mean, realistically, how many words can you probably utter in a crucifixion? You're nailed to the cross. Your, your lungs have all this pressure on them. They're filling with blood. You've got nails through your arms. How many things can you possibly say? He used... Some of his last breath to ask forgiveness on those who crucified him. That's crazy. And lastly, what is one of the worst things that you can do to someone you love? When it comes to speaking, it's getting the silent treatment. Right? When someone you care about, someone you love, just gives you the silent treatment, and you, then you're like, oh no. I'm in the doghouse now. They're not even speaking to me. We see this a lot in relationships. Um, But I mean, it happens all the time. On the cross, Jesus gets the ultimate silent treatment. On the cross, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He receives the silent treatment so that we can receive the ultimate word, Jesus himself. Dr. T- Timothy Keller, he says, you and I have been abusing each other with our language for so long and we have made such a muck of our society because of our words. The way in which we've slashed each other with our words, the swords of our words. We deserve the silent treatment. We deserve that, but Jesus got it for us. The Son of God was given the silent treatment so we could be made sons and daughters. Let's let that soak in. He took what we deserved. He was cut off so that we could be brought in. This morning is communion. We, we gather around the communion table as children of God because of what Jesus did. We eat the bread as a reminder of his, broke, his broken body for us, for the redemption of his people. We drink of the cup as a reminder of the blood that was sacrificed for us. In just a few minutes, the band will play. Take the time. Use your words as a time to confess what needs to be confessed to God, to repent and then rejoice in the forgiveness only possible through the atoning work of Christ. This is not a King's Chapel table. If you're here this morning, you are a follower of Christ, you are invited to come up to the table but if you're here this morning, you haven't put your faith and trust in Christ, we ask that you refrain from, from coming up to the table. This is for followers of Christ. But we want you to sit back. I want you to, you know, honestly, think, think about what's been spoken. And, and if the Spirit puts it on you to confess and repent, amen, that's awesome. Repent of your sins. Come, take of the table. Rejoice in Christ. We're glad you are here. We want to use our words wisely and good. Come to the ultimate word. Let's pray. When we think, Lord, of all that you have done, we should be speechless. There are no words that adequately describe just how awesome you are, how great you are, and how thankful we are for Jesus Christ. And we know we've all said stuff we regret, things that have affected our relationships. Lord, We're grateful you are a God of forgiveness and a God of grace and we want to get those things out of the way. We want to confess those things to you. Lord, we pray that you would work in our hearts so that our mouths would speak of your goodness and graciousness and your love. We Thank you for your work. We thank you for Jesus. And I pray anyone here who doesn't know him would speak to us through your mighty and awesome words. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.